Hey friends, welcome to another episode of Deeper Still, a podcast where we carve out space for meaningful conversation about God and life as we seek to pay attention to the ways he calls us to go deeper still in relationship with him and with one another. My name is Sue Ann Camfield. I have the joy of being the host of this podcast. And hey, guess what? I'm so glad you're joining us today. I am mindful that no matter where you may be joining us from or what life looks like for you today, that this time of year, this crazy time of year is the same for all of us. At least if you're listening to this podcast at the time of year that it's meant to be listened to, which is mid-December. It's mid-December, my friends, and I imagine for most of us, that means we're feeling the pinch of all things Christmas. The pace of life starts to pick up, our to-do lists start to build, our calendars fill, we feel the weight of our credit cards, sometimes the weight of our waistline, and guess what? Also, life doesn't stop just because it's Christmas. Some of us are carrying emotional burdens or physical pain that can sometimes make this time of year especially hard. We get that. And and I know as believers, we also know that we're supposed to experience hope and joy and peace and love. It's Advent, right? And so we're supposed to slow down and be intentional about the real meaning of Christmas. We don't want it to pass us by but sometimes it's hard. Well, today's conversation is meant to encourage you. It's meant to be a partner with you on this Advent journey. It's meant to encourage your heart. It's meant to engage your mind as we talk a little bit more about what Advent is all about, where the tradition comes from, and especially what it can teach us about how our lives are connected to the story of God. Our lives are connected to this ongoing story, ages past, as well as future hope, which is what Advent is all about. Well, to help me with this conversation is one of my favorite Deeper Still guests of all time, a voice that will be familiar to many of you, especially those of you who began this Deeper Still journey with us back in 2020. She is an amazing Bible teacher. She's an amazing thought partner. She's been an amazing partner to me personally in ministry through the years. She's one of my favorite human beings. She is my friend, my soul sister. Chris Stevenson is back in the studio with me today. So friends, whatever you're doing, wherever you find yourself, saddle up, settle in, and listen in as Chris and I go deeper still. Well, Chris, welcome back to Deeper Still. I am so excited to have you here back in the studio. I am absolutely thrilled to be here. I can't believe it's been, I think it's been a year. You and Aaron and I did first and second Kings. And I was was kind of thinking about when the last time we did this. I'm like, wow, what a vibe change from first and second Kings to today's topic. (laughs) I know we get to talk about Advent and Christmas and I'm just so thrilled to have you. I know people who are listening who got used to your voice when we did this as part of our women's ministry during COVID when Deeper Still got its start and uh, Deeper Still has changed a little bit over time, but I have been lamenting the fact that that has meant that we have not had you on as frequently and I have been trying to find ways to get you back here in the studio and so this was the perfect excuse, not that Advent and Christmas is an excuse. (laughs) Uh, But what a wonderful way to have you back. And we need to find more ways to do this in the future, too. Uh, Well, I sound like a broken record, but I repeatedly tell people that um, one of the beautiful gifts of that 
awful season of, you know, 2020 and 2021 was the gift of this podcast mm-hmm. and our friendship and just the encouragement to dive into God's word. I, uh, I learned so much more in conversation and community over God's word. And so this was perfect. And I love Advent and Christmas. Mm. Love, love, love. So when you suggested that we would do this, I said, oh, yes, please. Yay. Well, I'm very excited. Very excited to have this conversation. I also love Advent and Christmas and all the things leading up to it and just taking a deeper dive in scripture, especially this time of year, because, you know, already even coming in today, I had this idea to do this podcast months ago, and I was dreaming about all these ways I was going to be um, so incredibly present and prepared before we got to today. And then Thanksgiving happened and, you know, November was busy and Thanksgiving happened. And then um, December just kind of slams you. And all of a sudden, I already found myself going, oh, shoot, I'm rushing. And uh, you can lay that scenario over a million things in our lives when it comes to this kind of year where we tell ourselves leading into it, I'm going to slow down. This year is going to be different. I'm going to take a breath. I'm going to be intentional. And then all of a sudden it hits and we're like, shoot, I didn't do any of the things I said I was going to do. And we're like a weekend and I'm already feeling that way. Oh, for sure. I keep a kind of a a planner. It's not really a journal, but it's a planner with a little bit of space for reflection. And I was you know, at the beginning of each month, it asks you to set out your basically your to-do list, but your goals, and then kind of some intentional ways you want to be intentional about the month ahead of you. And literally for the last three Decembers, and probably prior to that, I just wasn't doing this then, it's the same thing. It's like, be present in my preparation of my heart and my home. And, and every year, we get to that, oh, it's December 6th? Wait, that means there's only many yes. days. And every year, I, I want Advent to be a place to slow. And so this the, the preparation that I did manage to do for this podcast was very convicting to me again, because I'm like, just like that, it goes. Yes, And it's meant to be a season of waiting. And not that waiting means, you know, sitting in your chair 24-7, but we, there is a there is some of that that's necessary, I think, to do some of the reflection um, yeah. that we're called to do. Yes, absolutely. So let's just start there because I am mindful that Advent is not a tradition that everybody experiences or every church tradition takes time out in the church calendar. Um, I grew up, uh, growing up, I, I went to church, uh, we were kind of Christmas and Easter kind of Christians going to church. We did a little bit more of that. But I have memories. I grew up in a Presbyterian church. Memories of when they lit the Advent candle. And going forward, they let the kids come. It was a small little church. And I I remember like this deep... uh, purpley carpet that we sat on, you know, and we could come forward. And I remember as a kid, I didn't understand Advent, but I remember that tradition. And then um, Eric and I, as we got older, and Eric was the first guy I dated that like went to church every Sunday. And I remember we were dating and I was like, wait, you do this every Sunday? Like every Sunday you go to church, <laughs> there's people that do this. And we, um, Together, he grew up in a tradition that uh, did not observe Advent. And so I just kind of followed his lead, and we went to churches earlier in our marriage that, um, and I, I'm not saying that is a, a, a shameful thing or a negative thing, but just they did not uh, observe the Advent season. And so when we started coming to Christchurch, and now we've been here for 17, almost 18 years, and Advent and Lent and the church calendar and liturgy became part of this tradition, at first I thought it was a little bit odd. I'm like, what is it all this 
liturgy stuff. What is all this? Who cares about the church calendar? Um, and now it's become one of the things that I just, it centers me. It, um, it helps me to orient myself at different times throughout the year. And Advent is one of those times where I am able to do that. And I, I'm sorry, I'm talking a lot now. No, I told you, I had my I, Starbucks this morning. I am like, you just chatty, go, chatty. Girl. But I want to tell you one more thing, because this was funny about my daughter. Sadie called me yesterday, and um, she said, Mom, I was so mad at church um, this Sunday, so mad. And I was like, wow, what is going on? And she goes, you know, she's out in college in Arizona, and she goes, it's the first Sunday of Advent, and they didn't even mention Advent. They didn't sing a Christmas song. They didn't light a candle. They didn't do anything. And she goes, I was so mad in church. And I said, it was an opportunity for me to say to her, here's why. Like, not all churches do that, and here's why it's important, and here's what you experienced, and here's why other people maybe don't think it's important. And so I had a proud parenting moment. It, it wasn't even a proud parenting moment. It was a, it was a moment to say to me, we have formed something in our children yeah. that I didn't even know we were forming that now my 21-year-old daughter is is ticked at church because she missed the first Sunday of Advent. And I was like, yay, God, yeah. for the way he shapes people through all kinds of things. So anyway, I'm going to stop talking and like kick that to you well, and say, tell us about Advent. Well, I love that for Sadie. Um, and I do, it's so, gosh, there's just so much. Um, I I grew up kind of in, in a, a middle space. I went to a Lutheran elementary school, K through eight. And so there's very much of an Advent tradition. And it's so interesting that I think so many of our early memories of Advent for so many people, in the church at least, revolve around that Advent wreath and the the ceremony with the lighting of the candles and the reading of the the scriptures that go with them. But I don't think I really um, fully understood the meaning of Advent, the kind of duality of Advent that I think we're going to talk about a little bit today until I was older. And quite frankly, even in preparing for this and trying to be more mindful this Advent, I've been really struck by that piece of it. Um, I think a lot of us think of Advent as like this countdown to Christmas. And honestly, even in the, I mean, you walk into Trader Joe's and you can get an Advent calendar and it's a, you know, a calendar with chocolates, or you can go to Sephora and get a beauty Advent calendar, <laughs> or you can, I mean, you can get ad, and I'm air quoting for yeah. our listeners, you can get an Advent calendar that counts down to December 25th. Um, and I think I confess that in some respects, Advent has become a little bit of that to me. But when we dive into the richness of Advent traditions, it's so much more than that. Mm. Um, so w- let's do just like kind of our, our primer here. Yeah, yeah. You know, the word Advent, it comes, it's a Latin word, and it means waiting or arrival. And if, you know, you've got kids, or maybe you are a kid, <laughs> wouldn't that be cool? You can kind of get that like Advent. Vent is a, a Latin root word for coming, and ad, ad usually is a prefix that has to do with arrival or the anticipation of. Um, and so it's easy to think of that then as awaiting the coming of Jesus and Christmas. That just makes sense. If you go deep into church tradition, initially the season of Advent wasn't even necessarily affiliated with celebrating Christ's birth. It had more to do with almost a season of repentance leading to epiphany, which in the church calendar comes in January. It's the the holy day that celebrates the arrival of the Magi. We'll talk about them a little bit later. But it wasn't really a Christmas thing. It was, in fact, a, a period of fasting and repentance that probably looked a little more similar to Lent 
in a lot of respects, a, a heart preparation in anticipation of a celebration. And again, in the early church, a lot of times baptisms mm. were celebrated on Epiphany as they were also often celebrated on Easter. So that's kind of where it starts. And it wasn't until I think like the fifth or sixth century that there started to be um, a little bit more affiliation with Christmas. And then really the idea of Advent celebrating um, the arrival of, of Christ on earth as a baby in a manger was kind of a Middle Ages thing. Mm-hmm. So in the grand scheme of church history, it's a newer tradition. Um, things like the Advent wreath itself were developed in the 1800s. Um, for those of you who um, participated in Lessons and Carols this past Sunday, either at Christ Church or at another church, one of my oh, favorite ways to start the season, Advent and Carols is a service that pairs, I believe it's eight scripture readings with eight different um, carols or songs. And that was developed, I believe, in the late 1800s in England and is a beautiful pairing of God's word from the Old Testament and pointing us to the arrival of Christ. But then, and here's kind of the, maybe for some people, the mic drop moment. Advent is, yes, about celebrating the birth of Christ, his first coming. But it is also meant to point us to his second coming, to that second Advent. And so much of scripture does just that. And I think that's the part that I I confess I've missed a lot of that. And that's a place that I really want to grow in my understanding of Advent. And I think as a church, um, we are very aware, most of us, of right now living in a place where there is brokenness and aching and heartache and war and famine and natural disaster and all the hard, dark things. And yet with that hope of the second Advent, when Christ makes all things right, that's that's something to eagerly anticipate also. Yes. Yeah. I loved, um, and Dan, our, our lead pastor here at Christ Church, he preached uh, this last week, and I love when he was talking about Advent. He said it so well. He said, we're in the season of the year when Christians across the pr- planet look back at the coming of God's glory into human flesh at Bethlehem and also look forward to his final coming when the mess, this is where it's so good, when the mess and madness of our world give way to everlasting peace and joy. And I confess with you, like, I miss that. Like, it's like, okay, Jesus is here in the manger, joy. And we, we miss that it is more than, it's so much more than that. It is this in the coming of Jesus that um, we will experience uh, not only in our lives here on this earth, but we wait for that day when he comes back and makes all things new. Yeah. One of my favorite Christmas carols is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And O Come, O Come, Emmanuel is, is it was interesting because this past Sunday I attended our lessons and carols here at Christ Church. And then I also went at 1045 into the contemporary worship service. And in both spaces, we sang a version of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, because it's such a classic Advent hymn, and it really goes through a lot of the Old Testament prophecy and and speaks to that longing that the people of Israel had for a Messiah, you know, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. And then it goes on and on, O Come, the rod of Jesse, free thine own from Satan's tyranny, from depths of hell thy people saving, give them victory over the grave. 
you know, come and cheer our spirits by thine advent here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night mm-hmm. and death's dark shadows put to flight. And then the last verse, O come, desire of nations, bind in one hearts, in one the hearts of all mankind. Bid thou our sad division cease and be thyself our king of peace. Mm-hmm. And I, seeing those words, singing them, but then seeing them in print, I'm like, those were the longings of, you know, the Jewish people are those not the longings of people today mm-hmm. for unity, for for death to be, you know, bound and cast away. And that's that's Advent. That's mm-hmm. what we're that's what we're celebrating. That's what we're meant to reflect on, I think, during this time. And um yeah, I just it's just so rich. And I also love the reminder that there had been a period of four hundred years. Mm-hmm. In the, what they call the intertestamental period between the Old Testament and what we now understand as the Old Testament and the New Testament, when God had been, air quotes, silent, there had been no more prophets. Um, the people of Israel were, by the time Jesus is born, living under Roman rule. They'd been in exile. And th- I'm sure they were, many of them had given up waiting and were wondering, where God, where were you? Where, where, where is this, you know, this king? Where is this rod? Where is this Emmanuel, this Messiah we've been promised? And we have the benefit, mm. being in the middle of the two Advents now, we can look back and see those threads of prophecy and promise pulled through and fulfilled in the birth of Jesus and how much that can increase our faith as we wait for that second advent. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's a, it's a, you said that so beautifully, by the way, that was really well done. <laughs> I learned from just listening to you. Um, but I think it's also a good reminder for us as believers to not let advent start, you know, advent doesn't start with the gospels. It doesn't start with the shepherds in the field. Um, it starts in the old Testament. It starts with the story of the people of God, who, as you said, had, they were, they were um, longing for a King. It's all through the old Testament. They were longing. I mean, from the garden of Eden, if you really want to go back, they were longing yeah. for things to be restored. Um, Abraham gets promises. They're longing to be fulfilled. King David gets promises. They're longing to be fulfilled. The people then are exiled out of Jerusalem or out of um, yeah uh, Jerusalem, Judah, <laughs> the, the, all, <laughs> those places. Like, all those places, and they're scattered and they're longing for um, you know the temple to be rebuilt. They are longing for the glory of God to come back, and they're they're waiting and longing, and and nothing is coming like the way that they want it to, and that definitely can lead to hopelessness which as you said we have the benefit of knowing the end of the story but it's a wonderful reminder for us that you know the the whole story of scripture informs who we are it's not just bits and pieces it's not just the new testament but like god has been weaving the story together since the Mm. beginning of time that finds its fulfillment in the person of jesus christ that will also find its fulfillment at the end of time and it's just this this amazing um Again, I keep saying that this reminder to root ourselves deeply in the story of the people of God. Yeah, I get I get goosebumps when we talk about it, honestly, because I don't do it often enough. And yet, when somebody else starts to point me in that direction, it's just jaw dropping. I was listening to um, a She Reads Truth podcast the other day, 
And it was, um, I'm going to forget her name, Matt Redman, the worship leader. It was his wife who was the guest on it. And she suggested of all, you know, we list a lot of these Old Testament prophecies. Isaiah in particular is one of the more well-known ones that prophesies the birth of Jesus. But she suggested that the very first prophecy in the Old Testament is in Genesis 1-3, when it literally says, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. Because then when we jump forward, and light is referenced in other places, but then we get to John, and in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and all that, and he was the light of men. It's like, ah. Yes. I just, it's so good. Mm-hmm. So yeah. good. It's so good. And it's a reminder that Advent starts in the darkness and leads mm-hmm. us to the light, you know, and that's the journey we want to be on together. Um, Absolutely. This, this I feel like we could, do, well, and people have done this, I'm sure. I feel like we could do a whole thing just on light in scripture and Jesus is the light and his word is the light, but then also his people yeah, as the light. We are the light. We are the light. And like, Wow. Yeah. Jesus is the light of the world. And yet we are called to be, you know, the lampstand on the hill that shines that light out to everybody else. Yeah. And I think that's one of the invitations in Advent, too, that as we're moving through this season, you think of the opportunities to talk to people. I mean, what other time of year can you be walking through a mall and listening to the piped in music and hear the tune of something like Silent Night mm. or O Little Town of Bethlehem? Like people around the world are hearing that in in moments that are just passing, or they're putting up lights in their you know windows. Who, it just it it. There's so much opportunity for I think easy, easy. The barriers to conversations are lowered yeah. during the season of Christmas and Advent to talk to friends and neighbors about you know the why, mm. so that they don't miss it either. It's good. Yeah, that's a really good reminder. Well, Chris, you brought up uh, She Reads Truth, which is a, a website, a podcast. Uh, they have devotionals. They have all kinds of things, resources, uh, that, Bible plans that you mm-hmm. can follow along. They're a wonderful one for Advent. Every year they put out a study yeah. that is really um, beautiful. I mean, it's it's a beautiful book. It's yes. a bu- and, and it's really deep in terms of how it leads you through Scripture. Uh, it's one of my favorites. I didn't get this year's, but I have uh, the previous couple of years. Uh, what other resources, books, if someone's listening and going, oh gosh, I have not really done this Advent thing. I, I might be interested in taking a deeper dive or a daily devotional. What might you recommend? Well, I am a big She Reads Truth fan because their whole focus is rooting it in scripture, which seems like that would be a no-brainer, but that's really their passion. And it's interesting. So we're only technically six, not actually, technically the first day of Advent was just Sunday, December 3rd. Which we, and we'll say this this podcast, we're recording it now, Correct. it'll come out next week. So we'll be like 10 or 12 days right. in by the time people listen. Um, so as opposed to like, if you're on a, you know, an Advent calendar, December 1 through 25 countdown. This year, the, the church calendar looks a little different. It starts a little later, but this year's She Reads Truth theme is on something called the O Antiphons, um, which are used... I know, I'm laughing because you a, said that word to me last night, and I asked you like five times to go, what word are you o saying? Antiphons. Now I know where you got it. I had no idea what yeah, you are talking no, about, I, I nor do I still, so I'm no, excited to hear what you're going to say. It's based <laughs> in, um, in, in a, liturgical churches use it, and it's based on some of the names of Jesus, and uh, they are... Um, on I think it's December 17th through 24th, there's one that's like sung each day in like a liturgical setting 
that looks back at some of these names and links them to the promise both of his um, first advent and second advent. And so they've kind of chosen to use that as their their theme. So She Reads Truth, big fan. And you that is one I would add to that while you can purchase books, there is a you can sign up to get the daily devotional free in your inbox and they have guest writers and it's it's a fantastic resource. I'm a book gal and so I'm like laughing looking over my shoulder at the books that I brought back there. One of the books that I found I'm so <laughs> don't hurt yourself as you turn around to reach those. As you're looking at those, I will say that um she reads truth is not just for women, so no. I know it says there's that. A, but don't if there's men out there listening, which I know there are, um, don't feel like you can't. No, use they that. have, and they yeah. have he they have separate. Oh, they have he reads truth right. though too. Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. All right. um, a book that I was just rediscovering this morning is by Jen Ludwig, who is a worship leader at Pepperdine. I gave you that book last Christmas. No, you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> that was my. I gave you that by the way. I was just saying. Okay, that's hilarious. Was it last Christmas or two years ago? I, I gave know. that to all our. I didn't writers. write in it. It's yeah. really good, Sue Ann. Good you. gift. Yes, yeah. um, <laughs> called Embracing Advent, and she does a great job. Um, one of the other pieces of Advent. We really are going to be all over the place mm. today, but that's okay. It's okay. It's okay. That when we light the candles, each week has each week's candle has a theme, and then the scriptures have a theme that goes with it, and it's. Hope, joy, peace, and love are the four that are traditionally used, right? Hope, peace, joy, oh, love. Oh, okay. Peace is, That's peace right. is next. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And a lot of Advent um, studies kind of go around that, but that she did a great job. And I love music. And to me, settling in and really listening to the lyrics of a lot of music, like I mentioned, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, if you're a classical music fan... I mean, just spend a little time in Handel's Messiah. Mm-hmm. You know, wonderful counselor, prince of peace, almighty God, everlasting father. Like those are names of Jesus from the Old Testament that the, the Messiah would be. Um, so that's, I'm not, I, we, could, we could put a bibliography link to the podcast of all the amazing resources. Yeah, and yeah. I will just add on a couple of my favorites. Um, one that I go to every year is called Watch for the Light. It is cl- a classic. Um, it is an anthology that has writers, uh, kind of deep thinking, prolific writers from both old and new. So you have Madden Langle, you have Karl Barth, you have Thomas Aquinas, you have Henry Nowen, you have Annie Dillard. Like it is just this beautiful anthology. I think Philip Yancey is in there. Um, and it's so they're a little bit longer readings and they are deep, but it is my. Um, I, I don't know that I've had yet to get through every day, every year, but I go to it and just when I have a few extra minutes to sit and, you know, have that cup of coffee near my Christmas tree and really have a thoughtful reflection, it is, it is, it's out every year. It's, it's one of my favorites. Um, the one I'm doing this year, I, uh, it's a free Devo from Kate Bowler, who is one of my favorite authors and she has an online resource. I think she has a, a book called, um. Oh, did I write this down so I don't get it wrong? Oh, yeah. Bless the Advent we actually have. And she has a book of blessings this year. And uh, it's a free Devo that you can just go to her website, sign up. But it's been really good. And she follows along hope. Like this week, everything's about hope. Next week, everything's about peace. Next week is joy. And then it'll be love. But it's been really, it's quick read. um, But she's such a beautiful writer and such a deep thinker that I've really enjoyed that. Well, and I would just, if you are not in a place where you have time or resources to run out to a bookstore order off Amazon, the free Bible apps always have mm-hmm. Advent, you know, Advent resources that are, are really well and thoughtfully, thoughtfully yeah. done. Yeah. So I think what we're kind of getting at here is don't miss out on the chance yeah. to, to 
take that deeper step in engaging with the scripture and reflecting and benefiting from the thoughts of of other believers um, to encourage you on your Advent journey, whatever whatever that looks like. And the other thing that I think could be a really cool thing to do is to go to the Gospels. You know, the Gospels we understand are those first four books, the the story of Jesus' life and ministry and gathering of his disciples, and look at how each of them kind of handle this time of the first advent because it, that looks really different too. Chris, you took the literally took all the words right out of my mouth and that's a great transition. <laughs> well, done. you've done this before and you know when I need to move on and uh, <laughs> you're not afraid to lead us into the next step. Um, one of, that's the benefit of having someone who you know that's and right. is very comfortable on the show. You know, I get some Let's of these go. authors on here who I don't know and I get a little nervous, but I'm so glad we don't have that problem. With <laughs> we do one not other. have that problem. <laughs> I love it. Um, one of the things that we thought would be really interesting to talk about, and actually uh, through the sermon series we started here at Christchurch, kind of reminded me um, that the gospel, the gospels handle the Christmas story and the story of Jesus um, differently, and it's something we might sometimes forget. Sometimes we think, oh, the Christmas story is in all four Gospels, or the same Christmas story is in all four Gospels. And that's not actually true. Each Gospel handles the life of Jesus in a different way, and there's reason for that. And so I thought it would be fun to just spend a a few minutes kind of giving our listeners um, some of those differences and where they might go in scripture, depending on where they are in their own journey and how they want to go into this Advent season. So I'm just going to kick it to you. What you got for us? We'll we'll see what we come up with here. Well, it's, again, those Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four different authors, um, Matthew being that, that tax collector, disciple of Jesus, and a Jewish man. Mark, who we believe wrote based on the account of accounts of Peter, um, Luke, who is the the Gentile doctor who comes in and is that in, almost like the investigative reporter that gets all those details, and then John, the disciple Jesus loved, who is his that gospel is kind of stands in its own space, and so they're different authors, um, different purposes for each of those gospels. If you start to study for them, and so they reflect these these beginnings a little bit differently. And if you look at Matthew first, um, which is the first one in the the New Testament, we start with this genealogy, chapter one, which is this genealogy of Jesus, which is real easy to think, oh, I could just skip over that. But we won't take the time to do it today. But if you choose to dig Mm -hmm. into that, there's some really cool stuff in there about Jesus' line. And you'll see some of those familiar names popped in there. And then you'll see some kind of surprising names in there as well. And so that's where Matthew begins. And part of that is because Matthew is writing at the time to a primarily Jewish audience and wants to remind them. I mean, Jewish people are deeply rooted in genealogy and, um, and that historical drawing that thread from the very beginning to bring it to Jesus. Um, Matthew is actually where we see the only mention of the wise men in Matthew 2. So for those of you who may be a part of the Christ Church community, our Advent sermon series this year is focused on the Magi or the wise men, and it comes from this brief passage. But it's interesting because it goes from the genealogy right to the Magi. It it skips some of the, you know, baby in the manger 
kind mm. of bed or, you know, shepherds in the fields. And, and again, it's easy to forget that. Um, a lot of commentators think that the reason for that is that um, being reminded that Jesus is part of this historical prophetic thread, that that's really important. And in fact, when we talk about the Magi, part of what they probably were encountering as they followed the star and were doing their research were the Old Testament prophecies that were pointing them. They were learned men, and we'll talk a little bit more about them. But that's kind of where Matthew comes. If you go to Mark... Mark doesn't mess around. Mark skips the birth of Jesus, the manger, the all the you know songs in the field, and he jumps right in with John the Baptist calling for repentance. Mm. And um, it's like, wow, okay, so you know, Jesus was born, and let this is, but this is why he's here. And I think in the um, you know the storybook version of Christmas that we sometimes cultivate of again Jesus in the manger, which is true and important to remember that Jesus who was in that manger came, chose to come, had to come in order to reconcile us, to be that perfect sacrifice. And so Mark wants us to get that. He's like, if you're going to really accept the gift of Christmas, that's going to require examination of your life and repentance. And so he just jumps in with John the Baptist. We get to Luke, our investigative reporter, and Luke gives us the Christmas account that many of us are familiar with, you know, in the the list of the the Roman emperors and the, going for the um, the census in Bethlehem and traveling on the donkey and babies in mangers and shepherds in fields and and Mary in the Magnificat and Elizabeth and Zechariah and it's so rich and I think part of the reason it's so rich is because Luke wants to engage our hearts as people it's a story that i think that's what luke feels like to me is the story that captures my heart mm. you know when you when you read that verse it said you know and and mary remembered these things and pondered them in her heart that's what luke wants us to do with the christmas story and then we get to john and in john it's like this poetic metaphor in the beginning was the word and the word was god and there's no again no manger and straw and stable but there's this reminder that that God of the universe who was there in the very beginning is the same God, man, baby who's lying in this manger. And so they each have such a different thing to offer and instruct us on. And at different points in your life, different pieces of that may resonate with you. But I think it's important for us to take them as a whole because each piece adds to the richness of our of our understanding and experiencing of Christ and if Christmas is not just about looking in and saying, oh, well, there's Jesus in the manger, there's, you know, all the things of Christmas, Christmas and Advent are meant to move us into that relational space. And I think understanding this full picture, engaging our heart, being led to repentance, understanding that long thread of history that's pulled through and that that mysterious divine triune nature of God is, it, it, that's what we're here for, and mm. to get that richness out of it. Mm. That was just really, really good, <laughs> really good. And and it just like even listening to you, it makes me want to go and and look at all of the gospels through those lenses and see what God has to say to us during this time, especially as an intentional part of our journey, because it, it's a reminder that the gospels. Um, 
You know, it's like if you imagine, okay, this is probably a heretical image I'm going to say right now. Sure I don't know why not. this is in my head. Like if you had a little statue of Jesus <laughs> and you just kept turning it to see different angles of, of him. You know, that's kind of the different parts of the gospels, what they do. It's like we think we see Jesus one way and we have a really good, accurate picture. And then we take that little statue or figurine and we turn it a little bit. And all of a sudden we see something different that we didn't see before. And if we take the time to turn the whole thing in a 360, um, look at all of the things now that we've seen that we can't get from just looking at him from one angle. And so that's what the Gospels do. And that's during this season or any season, you know, when we get to Lent, when we're just reading our Bible, anytime that we encounter the Word of God, it's like part of the reason we have the Word of God is because God, through Jesus, wants to reveal to us who he is and what is He, what he is like. And that's the beautiful part of these stories. It's like they were just ordinary men mm-hmm. um, uh, that were telling their story and their vantage point, and now we benefit from it. And we get to see what the God of the universe is like yeah. because of how they recorded these events. Right. Well, and I think, and this is something I have to continually remind myself, is to invite the Holy Spirit into that that process too when we're reading to reveal those new things. Um, because it can easily, something familiar can become rote. You know, I grew up, I had all of Luke 2 memorized. That was part of what we did in my little Lutheran school and recited it at the Christmas Eve Christmas pageant. And so I can rattle it, well, not so much anymore, but there's a period in time where I can rattle it off or if they're reading it in church, I start to almost mumble the words. But really pausing them and saying, Holy Spirit, show me something new or take the, you know, the scales off my eyes so that I can mm. see this in a fresh way this yeah. Christmas season. yeah. Yeah, we can always see it in a fresh way. Sometimes it feels like, oh no, what is, you know, God has nothing new to teach me this year. But if we, uh-huh. yeah, haha, that's good. <laughs> we'll just leave that. That's ha-ha. funny. That's funny. Um, well, let's talk about the Magi a little bit because they are, like you said, they're only mentioned in Matthew chapter two. It is actually a really brief story. We don't know that much about them. Um, scripture doesn't elaborate on who they are or even what, um, what this encounter really looked like. We don't have a lot of details, but it is an interesting, again, when we talk about turning that little figurine of of Jesus, um, it is an interesting lens through which we can see the Christmas story. And so um, we don't have all the answers about the Magi. I think when we started getting into this, I was like, wow, there is a lot more to this than we have time to uh, probably prepare for and to talk about. The good thing is, again, for those of you who are part of our Christchurch community, or even if you're not, and you're interested in learning a little bit more about the Magi and how we interact with them during this time of year, um, we're doing a four-week sermon series right now uh, about the Magi, five weeks maybe even. Um, yeah about the Magi that goes through the end of the year. So we do encourage you to tune into that. And if you're not part of the church community, I'll share at the end of the podcast how you can find that sermon series. Our lead pastor, we'll talk about this a little bit. He did um, an introduction to the Magi last week that I learned all kinds of stuff I didn't know. And so let's just spend a few minutes and share what we do know, or um, maybe some misconceptions even. But what do we know about the Magi? Well, and again, I think it's funny because so much of what we think we know is is part of the human imagination and that rich kind of culture, which isn't necessarily bad, but what we know is is pretty limited. We know that there were a number of them. That number is nowhere said to be three. 
we assume the three because, or that's become kind of tradition because Matthew does mention there that they brought with them three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh to lay before Jesus. We know that they came from the east. Where the east was could be <laughs> east of Jerusalem, <laughs> presumably, or Bethlehem. But That's right. Like, like from here, it could be east. Like, are we talking about like New York or are we talking about like right. how far east can right. we go? Right. Um, we, you know, if you study the history of what this this word that's used um, in Matthew, magi, as, as you might look at, if you see it, M-A-G-I, you're like, ooh, magic, magician, magical. And that root word is there. And um, as Dan Meyer was explaining on Sunday, there's kind of a, a continuum of what that word can mean. I mean, at one end, it can be, you know, like the sorceress, trickster, playing tricks on people. The other end, it's something that's more like the word, when we use the word wise men, um, it's and almost more scientific, that is the other end. And just based on the bits that we know, it's that's much more likely that they were those type of magi. Um, I can let you toss around the idea of the Zoroastrians, Suhanne, if you'd like to say that word 10 Uh-oh, times that's, fast. Yeah. That's nice, yeah. Uh, thanks for kicking that to me. Really appreciate that. Uh, this was something new I learned uh, from our sermon series this last week. Zoroastrianism, right? Only Dan Meyer pulls that out in a, in a sermon. Um, but it, what I found really interesting, as you said, this continuum on what people thought of um, magi during that time or what a wise man meant. The part that really stood out to me was the fact that unlike a lot of other religions, they believed there was only one God. And so I, I in, in a world that was very polytheistic, to have someone besides the Jewish people believe in one God and and it didn't even seem like the magi were overly spiritual. Like you said, they're they're scientists, but they believe there was this one um there was one true God. And so they used their disciplines, their scientific disciplines, their their um, astronomical disciplines, there we go, uh, things they were examining about the world, historical patterns, religious teachings. They were, they were constantly studying and looking to see how they could point or how the one true God might be revealed. And so they were constantly amassing wisdom to try to figure this out. And so the part I don't know is they see a star in the sky. So how they knew this star was different. I got to tune in, like I said, I got to tune into the rest of the sermon series. I'm preaching on Christmas Eve, so I got to figure all this out before then. But I'm curious to learn because I have never um, really taken the time to study. Like how did they, when they saw that star in the sky, how did they know it was different? What, what, was it about that that made them get up and start this very long journey to see the thing that they thought they might see, the Messiah that came? Um, and and how did they see it and everyone else missed it? You know, um, not everybody, but the shepherds saw it. But um, it's just really interesting to think how they how that came to be. Yeah, well, and I think one of the things that when you when you study some of these prophecies and look at the Old Testament, and then I think the Magi are evidence of this, is that Jesus came for all people. And I so I have to believe that part of the reason they were able to see that star stand out in the sky and to take action was a movement of God prompting them to do that because he wanted that message 
to not be limited because he's that's very clear throughout mm-hmm. scripture that this is this is good news for all people i bring you good t- great good tidings of great joy for all people is what mm-hmm. he's the angel said to the shepherds and i think the the wise men are part of god's plan for that because mm-hmm. because and again it, it's that extrapolating we like to be storytellers but when they left the end of the passage that talks about the magi says and they went back by another way and one of the little bits of research I read said that that another way, yes, they probably went geographically a different way because they were trying to avoid Herod. But there's also some language there that suggests that that another way means their lives were changed. Mm. And that that's their encounter with this baby in a manger led them presumably back to their homeland by another direction. But what did they tell people when they got there? Mm. And I love to, that's, you know, again, that holy imagination, trying to think of like what that meant. And did that not, in fact, then advance the gospel in its own small way to make people there receptive or curious down the line, wherever they were from in the East? Yeah, it's a really good point because the other thing, you know, as, as wise men, they were studying Jewish prophecy. They were, they had their eyes kind of on everything. And so, um, for them to come to this place to see if this actually was the Messiah, to see if it was the one true king. Well, scripture doesn't, it's not explicit to say, and they prayed a prayer to receive, you know, that right, right. we don't know what happened to them. But when you take a step back and think about the God of the universe and you think about Mary and Joseph in that manger and seeing a baby, um, you know, there is a divine act that is happening here too. It's not just like when we go see our, our friends, kids, newborn in the hospital, there's something divine. I mean, when you, when you see Mary and Joseph in their posture towards Jesus, when you see, um, kind of the, I'm just imagining this atmosphere that didn't feel normal when the wise men came and they presented those gifts, those three gifts that were, you know, the gold, they were, they're very, um, expensive gifts they they meant something and that gold that depicts royalty the frankincense that was an incense that depicts deity and the myrrh which was actually an embalming oil that symbolized death which seems like a weird thing to bring to a newborn baby but we see again how that points back as well as points to the future of even jesus death and so it's just all of this happening. It's not unrealistic to think that they were changed by the encounter. Right. Well, and they allowed themselves to be. You know, they went to people who knew the prophecies and who and told them about the star who didn't choose to go to Bethlehem. Mm-hmm. And they got there and they were told that these prophecies pointed to a king. They got to a, a, a manger scene. Presumably that's where they still were, but certainly an impoverished household at best. And they still were able to recognize that it was a king. They didn't walk in and see a baby lying in straw and go, oh, wrong door. We'll take our expensive gifts elsewhere to where the, the real king is. They they saw what was unexpected and still saw it as the gift from God, God himself that was in that manger. Yes. And there were plenty of very well-educated and religious people who eventually had that same information and were not able to have that response. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. 
So interesting. So much we don't know. So much we can um, just, again, mystery mystery of God and, and think of his divine nature and what that encounter could have been like. I should point out that we don't know exactly how long their journey took. Yeah. Some people think that Jesus was a toddler by the time yeah. they got there, that it wasn't, they weren't going to a baby in a manger. They were right. actually seizing Jesus when he was about two years old. So I want to point that out because I, I, again, I need to go do all my homework on that and say why that might be, but I don't want to be inaccurate here on the podcast either. So maybe we'll have to circle back to that at some point. Um, But it is just, it's, it's also a reminder that it's kind of um, scripture is meant to inspire our imaginations. And so I know we like to study it like it's a history book or do our research and, and, and that's all really important because we need to, we need to be good. I always say we need to be good students of the Bible so that we're not inaccurately, um, you know, reporting back to other people at the same time. It is a book that inspires our uh, imagination is meant to get us to think, you know, to think about who the God of the universe is and how people encounter him. And I think the story of the Magi, if we take a minute to do it, it, it helps us do that. Yeah. Well, and I, I think, and I loved what, again, we, we were referring a lot to, you know, the first sermon in this sermon series we're doing here at Christ Church, but it was kind of unexpected. And I think the piece that I was surprised by a little bit is, um, how is the challenge really to how, what do I learn from the Magi, from the wise men about how I posture myself in this season? And um, when I kind of thought about that, I thought, gosh, you know, what a great question as we kind of slow ourselves down. And what, what did the wise men do? And they were paying, first of all, they were paying attention. They saw that star in the sky and maybe that was part of their job to look at the stars. It certainly sounds like it might have been, but they were paying attention to nature. And you know, Scripture tells us that that's one of the ways that God shows Himself to people. And I know I've had conversations with many people who their experience um, of God is, you know, if you pause to look up at the stars in a night sky, I, I don't know how you don't fall to your knees. Mm-hmm. But they they did that. They were they were on the lookout for things in nature and in the world around them. And so I think that's one of the things we're called to in Advent. And that does require us to pause and stand still long enough to do it. Mm-hmm. They did more research. They dug in. They found out more from those scriptures. They said, let's go let's go comb through the, the books, through the reliable sources, and find out more about what this might mean. And I, for me, that means a call back to scripture in Advent. You know, mm-hmm. I have... We have in our house literal baskets full of Christmas books that are fun and fluffy, and and I wouldn't trade them for anything. But I need to go back to Scripture for this piece of it. They took action. They didn't just go, oh well, this wow, that's so cool that there's maybe a king somewhere. They let's go find him, mm-hmm. and they did so at great cost to themselves. I might add it. We don't know where they came from, but it's any coming from anywhere in that time other than the village next door (laughs) was something done at expense and cost and time so they i think dan said on sunday they they got up out of their chairs and they went yeah they were called to action and they sought out wise people maybe not so wise because those other people they consulted to go with them to find out more they went in community they they went together like 
we need to do Advent and Christmas and all of our life in community with others who can encourage us. And then when they got there, they were able to set aside their own expectations or presuppositions about what this king would be and worship. And I think that's something that I know I need to work on. You know, I I might have an idea. Certainly the Jewish people this time had an idea of this, you know, conquering king coming in and they were caught off guard that he was the son of a carpenter in a little town. And the, the wise men were able to set that aside and still bring their gifts in worship. And then they left as changed people. And if I come out of, you know, we kind of joked at the beginning about the vicious cycle of Advent in, in some ways, you know, oh, it's, here it is again. Oh, how did, how is it December 6th or December 9th or whatever? And I'm already caught off guard. I sometimes don't change enough in Advent. Um, and I think that challenge to go back by a different way, you know, we're sitting here having this conversation. How am I going to go back by a different way in mm. my Advent and learn and, and lean in to this in-between space? One advent to reflect on and another to anticipate. Such a great way to, I can't believe we're almost out of time. We'll start to wrap up this conversation, but there's so many invitations, Mm -hmm. you know, so many invitations for us during this season to, we don't have to do all of those things that Chris just said, (laughs) but where is God hitting you? You know, just what's one, what's one thing that we think this year we can um, pay better attention to, that we can be intentional to, that we can go deeper still, right? Um, And just let that one thing be enough and just see what God does, see how he wants to transform and change you this Advent season. And so, Chris, uh, talking about transformation and God changing us, and uh, you know I have to ask the deeper still question because it's what we do on this podcast. It's always uh, how we end. So as you are sitting with this, as you are kind of thinking through all of these things, you don't have to have a perfect answer. But I'm wondering, how is God calling you to go deeper still this Advent season? Well, I definitely won't have a perfect answer. Um, I really think, again, in that looking at the posture of the Magi in paying attention, but also for me, I think I need to spend more time in that uncomfortable place of, of not just celebrating the fun things of Christmas, but understanding, too, that Jesus came into a world that was full of hurt and of pain Um, a world that was in political unrest, that was longing for restoration. I don't like uncomfortable things. I don't like to think about hard things. That's my, it's a person, (laughs) unfortunate personality trait of mine. But I think we're also called to that space in Advent and to sit with some of that because only when that longing for those hard things to be different, am I really going to long for the, the second coming. And it was interesting when I was going through the Jen Ludwig book this morning, um, one of the things that she is really careful to point out that I I don't want to miss in this conversation is that the Christmas season, the Advent season can appear very shiny, happy people, like a shiny, happy people kind of season, you know, put on your Christmas sweater and, you know, drink a cup of eggnog and cheers. But this is a hurting world, and, and it's not just a hurting world on a, on a meta scale, but individuals have lost loved ones this year or are struggling with health crises, and, 
Advent and Christmas still come into those spaces. And one of the, and I think somebody else has said this, but she said it. And so I, hers is what I wrote down. But when we talk about peace, so the second week of Advent is the peace candle, that peace isn't the absence of struggle. Peace is the presence of someone, and that someone is Jesus. And you could kind of almost insert the hope. You know, hope isn't the absence of hard things. Hope is knowing that even in the hard things, God's faithfulness prevails. And so I think I I want to be challenged to be a little more willing to sit with some of the hard things of this season. And in doing so, rather than have them take away my hope or my peace or my joy or my love, have them just cling to Jesus more tightly for those things rather than the things of this world. Such a good word to end us on, such an encouragement, such a reminder that there are so many people going through so many things. Um, and it doesn't mean that that reflecting on these things take those things away, but hopefully we can have the hope, the peace, the joy, the love of Christ that is with us this season and always. And so Chris, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for just guiding us and leading us and um, being so wise and thoughtful in all you do. It is nothing short of a joy to have you here today. So thanks so much for carving out the time. Thank you and Merry Christmas. That's right. Merry Christmas, everyone. Well, friends, thanks so much as always for joining us today. Chris is so awesome, isn't she? I just love having her back in the studio. I do hope you gleaned a few things that will just encourage your heart as you continue your own Advent journey. I know I did. I know I feel lighter just having had this conversation, which I am reminded is what happens when we take time to point one another in an intentional way to the light of the world. And so I hope you're feeling that today. Keep doing it in the days to come. If you want to learn more about the sermon series called Magical that Chris and I referenced, or maybe you're looking for a space to worship this Christmas, maybe you don't have a church home, uh, for both of those things, you can visit ChristChurch.us. You'll find that sermon series as well as all of our Christmas service times. We would absolutely love to see you and engage with you in this way. Well, before I close this episode, I just want to acknowledge this is the last episode I'll be posting for 2023. So sad, I know. But we'll be back in January. We'll have lots of great guests, lots of great conversations to come. But before we look ahead, I just want to take a moment. I'm a naturally reflective person, and so it's in my nature to just pause and mark moments, especially as we wind down the year together. So first of all, I just want to say thank you to all of my guests for taking time out of their busy schedules to share not only their stories, their experiences, their resources, their books, but how God has been personally challenging them to go deeper still. They've been honest, they've been vulnerable, they've been warm, they've been lovely. And I don't know about you, but whenever I hear other people share the moments in their own journeys where God is at work, I can't help but be challenged in my own journey as well. So a huge debt of gratitude to all of my guests. You're amazing. And if you haven't checked out those episodes, if you missed some, go back and listen. I promise you won't be disappointed. Secondly, a huge thank you to each one of you for listening, for sharing episodes with a friend or a neighbor, for leaving reviews on your favorite podcast platform, or my personal favorite, for the times that you have sent me a text, you have sent me an email, or maybe you've grabbed me in a hallway or a coffee shop somewhere and let me know how God has used something this podcast has shared to remind you of his goodness and his grace. 
This is a labor of love for me. And so those moments encourage me more than words can say. So thanks so much for being on the journey with us this year. All right, friends. Well, enough for me. As you finish out your own year, I pray that you would see the presence of God with you, that you would be reminded that he is God with us, Emmanuel, that you would feel his presence this day and every day through this Advent season and forevermore. And of course, as always, as you go on your way, don't forget, don't forget, pay attention to how he is calling you deeper still. My friends, go in his grace and I'll see you next year. 